My name is Craig Jarvis. I'm the lead pastor here at Village Church East. How many of you have read through the book of 1 Peter at least once from beginning to end? It's okay if you haven't. I'm just curious. Okay, good. Um, 1 Peter is an interesting book of the Bible because of the way that it starts. You may not know this, but every week I do sermon prep together with Michael Fueling, who's a pastor at the Bartlett campus. And we get together and we work through a passage of Scripture. And I told Michael, I said, listen, we got to do the first five verses at least because there's some meat there that I want to sink my teeth into. And uh, Michael sat there and he said, no, Craig, I don't think so. I I think I can only do two verses. I said, Michael, listen, if you do two verses on the first Sunday we do this and you want to be finished by Advent, there's no way that that's actually going to happen. And, uh, and he said, I, I, just, I can't get my mind out of the first two verses. And I said, okay, all right, let's read the first two verses. And we read the first two verses, and I was still convinced I was right. <laughs> but as we dove in, and you should know that there's actually even another church in our community that has heard about and been a part of our sermon prep uh, sessions in the past that has decided to join us for the, our sermon prep, and they're doing a series in First Peter along with us as well. So it's pretty cool to see this growing. But as we sat there and we, and we talked through the first two verses, I was amazed at how it applied. Just those two simple introductory uh, verses, how they applied to modern life. And then my world fell apart on Friday morning. I got a phone call as I was running errands from my daughter. She's here, this is Karis. She's 14 years old. Hi, Karis. <laughs> She's the cutest thing in the world. On the other side of the phone, Karis was crying uncontrollably. And the words that came out of her mouth were these. Daddy, I'm at the mall. We're behind a door, and there's a gunman shooting people outside. She's on the phone, hidden behind a storage area in American Eagle, where she had just been with a friend of hers. There had been an incident in the mall, and they immediately rushed everybody that was in the mall that they could into the back rooms. Karis was one of them. She didn't know what was going on. She didn't know uh, what was happening outside. Um, I immediately pulled over the car and um, started talking to her and trying to calm her down and immediately started asking her questions. Who's with you? Are there any adults there? What is the door made out of? What material is the door made out of? I wanted to know exactly what she was going through, but at the same time, I wanted to kind of take her mind off of the surroundings so that she could focus. I prayed with her on the phone. I drove the car faster than any person should ever drive a car. I found that my car actually goes above 110. That's pretty good for a 2005 I broke every law on the road to get to my daughter and to get to the mall and see what she was going through. When I got there, um, I saw a bunch of uh, ambulances and I saw a bunch of policemen. Uh, There were four helicopters suspended in the sky. Uh, People were outside of the mall. Some were crying. Some, everybody had a phone to their ear. Some were mingling around, trying to figure out what was going on. But it seemed like most people knew more than I did. I jumped out of my car, and I tried to find out where in the mall she was. And 
kept asking her, do you hear gunshots? Do you, what, are there loud bangs outside the door? And she said, no, the, she couldn't hear much of anything. And um, I asked her all kinds of questions to try and figure out how I could comfort her. And then the last thing she said to me as I jumped out of my car was, wait, there's somebody at the door. And then the phone went silent. And I thought to myself, all the bad things that a parent would think at that time. And I kept calling for her. I said, Karis, answer me. Is there, who's at the door? Who's at the door? And all I could hear was whispering. I thought, as I was walking toward the mall, a thought that I had never thought before. My thought was this. What if I cannot drive home with my 14-year-old in my car? She finally got back on the phone. I actually ran into one of the Taurus boys, uh, Danny Taurus. He works for the EMTs. And uh, I was looking around. They were loading somebody in an ambulance, and I ran right into him. That was an act of God. And, and I said, my daughter's in there. I need to know what's going on. And, and they said, they're pulling everybody out. Um, I said, I don't know where she is. And, and they said, we can't tell you more than that. Um, and then and he just put his hand on my shoulder, and he said, it's going to be okay, Pastor Craig. And then I thought, seriously, everybody in the world knows me now. Because <laughs> I, didn't I didn't know who that was. So he introduced himself. I, I, knew, I knew he just looked like a, a Taurus family. Um, and then I ran, I ran back to the car because she said she was up at the other end of the mall and that there was a policeman at the door and he was going to lead them out. I, drove, I actually drove the car up a little further up from where the incident occurred. I parked the car, jumped out of the car, and I ran toward... The door she was coming out and she ran toward me and we hugged and I put her in the car and I thank God for the police, the safety of others, but most of all that my daughter was in my car safe and sound. We found out later that there wasn't a gunman in the mall, but it was some crazy person with a car that went through uh, the Sears entrance door, drove through the Sears department store and started running through the middle of the mall, knocking, uh, banging into kiosks and running over things in the middle of the mall. Uh, listen, I, when I asked what American Eagle was doing, uh, Kara said they had her behind the door. The door was steel, and they had it propped up with a steel bar. So listen, I'm going to write American Eagle the nicest note you've ever seen in your life. Here's why that applies to First Peter. It occurs to me that we spend most of our time planning for what if. Think about all of the time you put into planning for what if. What if there's a gunman at the mall? What if there's a gunman in the school? What if my children, um, what if I have children at this stage of life? What if I lose my job? What if I get cancer? What if I never find a spouse? What if I choose the ma- wrong major at college? What if we are persecuted for holding Christian values? What if my car gets ripped off? What if my house burns down? What if I lose my health? Listen, 20 years ago in America, the church was planning for the what-ifs. They were asking all kinds of what-if questions. Here's some of the questions they were asking 20 years ago. What if public schools make it their cause to indoctrinate our children with anti-Christian propaganda? What if LGBTQ agenda takes over our culture? What if churches stop preaching the gospel and start doing self-help platitudes instead? What if marijuana is legalized? 
What if abortion goes on unhindered with no voice for the baby in the womb? Listen, fast forward for today, 20 years later, we are in their what-ifs. We're living those what-ifs right now. This is what is. Recreational marijuana is quickly becoming legal nationwide. Abortion after... Listen, you need to understand, like, it's hard to rewind, I know. But rewind your mind, like, 10 years ago. Crazy people talked about legalizing marijuana. We laughed at that. And now it's going to be a thing. Abortion after the baby leaves the birth canal is legal and applauded in some states. And they still call it abortion. I don't get that. Gay marriage is the law of the land. Listen, you need to know, for those of you that weren't like savvy back when Obama ran for the first time, he ran on a platform of anti-gay marriage. He proclaimed that. Just rewind. Look, look at it. It's, it's on Google. But now it's, it's, not just, it's, not just, um, uh, it's not just accepted. If you even bring it up as a question, you are labeled as racist is like the term, right? Or a homophobe. Parents are intentionally not in, invited to the curriculum plans of public school systems while people with a clear cultural-led agenda decide what's going to get taught. Now, you should know, some people listen to this list that I just read, and they applaud. They think, yeah, that's, prog- that's progress. That means we're finally growing up. We're catching up with the rest of the world. Here's what I would say. If you're on that list, and some people in my own family would say, Craig, you're just old-fashioned. That's, that's what old people think. You've got, you got white hair. You qualify. You're thinking old. But here's what I fear. And church, just listen to me. And, and if you're in that group of people that think, oh, that's, pro- that's progress, just consider this, okay? Be careful when culture demands conformity. When culture demands conformity, you're heading down a bad path. And our culture demands conformity. Listen, culture always will demand conformity. But the next step to that be on guard when culture denounces independent thought in order to get there. When culture says you're not allowed to have an independent thought about that subject, you've got a major problem. That's a what if that we are currently living in. I could read that list, and maybe some of you here this morning, I've already offended you because you have a view of one of those things, and your view of life is, not only do I have that view, but for everybody else that doesn't have that view, we can't be friends. That's crazy. You're literally saying that everything, in order for us to be friends, everything you think, I have to think. When did that start? I mean, that is the antithesis of friendship. Friendship is iron that sharpens iron. We help each other become better and grow and learn. And when do we take items, uh, agenda items off of the table? Not even allowed to talk about them anymore. But that's a what if that is now a what is. Listen, the purpose of the church is to prepare God's people for the what ifs. Let me give you some what-ifs that might rock your world a little bit. What if the government started a program to identify where Christians lived? Hang on. What if the government 
started a program to identify who has guns in their homes. What if the Bible is labeled as hate speech? What if the militant gay agenda, this is militant gay now, keep in mind, the, the people that are out for destroying other people, what if the militant gay agenda labels churches as places of hate speech and begins suing churches out of existence by taking everything that they have? What if the government decides to, that, that we cannot hire people, businesses cannot hire people with conservative Christian values because it is labeled as unsafe theology? So those are the what-ifs of today, right? And you're sitting there going, those are scary, right? <laughs> well, the what-ifs usually become the what-ars. Now, I don't want you to freak out. Please don't freak out. We prepare for the worst, but we pray for the best. Michael gave a great illustration that I actually am stealing, so I'm giving him credit for right now, so I don't think it's technically stealing, but he said, my home is designed for optimal enjoyment, but I prepare for multiple what-ifs. What if mosquitoes try to take over my backyard? Spray it. What if somebody tries to break in my back door? Lock it. What if somebody tries to steal my car? Lock it. What if somebody tries to get in one of our windows? Lock it. What if my house burns down? Insurance. What if the CO2 levels become dangerous? It's monitored. What if there's a tornado? Basement. There's always the what ifs. My kids know what if the house burns down? What are they to do? We have an evacuation plan. Run. Right? So there's the, there's the what ifs. This is what I have begun to love about 1 Peter. Peter is answering the what-ifs for those who believe it might just be around the corner. And here's their big what-if. Are you ready for it? What if my country rejects me? What if my country rejects me? The book of Peter is written to a group of people who have gone from the what-ifs to the what is they are roman citizens with roman privileges but they are not allowed to live in their homes they are scattered they've been displaced by the own their own government these exiles have likely been banished by rome to new areas of living because they've trusted in jesus christ and rome is now becoming suspicious of anybody who calls themselves a christian this book is written about 65 a 60 to 66 a.d somewhere in there and in 65 a.d there was an emperor called nero who was nuts in the head the saying about nero is that he played the fiddle while rome burned do you know who started the fire? Nero. Nero burned his own city down because it gave him an opportunity to blame one group of people who he saw coming up as a threat. Do you know who that group of people was? The Christians. So he set a fire to his own city and blamed it on the Christians. They were a new sect. Nobody understood them. Eventually, culture changed, but Christians wouldn't. As the Roman culture became more and more prevalent and more and more pagan, the Christians would denounce activities. They would say, no, that's not the right activity. They would even denounce the rulers of the day. And Rome was threatened by that. They were frightened by those that they did not understand and values that they could not identify with. And so this letter was written to a group of people 
who were beginning to be prosecuted, persecuted for their faith. Now, it's important to understand, this is the beginning of 200 years of incredible church persecution. Christians would be blamed for every bad thing that happened. Christians would be called intolerant. I kid you not. Read it. You're going to go like, really? This is what happened back then? Yes, history repeats itself. Christians would be called intolerant because they would not identify with the rest of the pagan population around them. And because that population didn't understand the fundamental values of Christianity, they began to fear Christians, and the Christians began to grow, and the churches began to grow. And so instead of embracing them and having a conversation back and forth, they began to persecute them. 200 years starts with the burning of Rome. Eventually, to say that you were a Christian meant that you were labeled an enemy of the state. Now, remember, this is during the time when the Colosseums rose up. Never heard of the Colosseums? These were places where if Rome conquered your area and you were a dissident, you were either labeled as a gladiator who would fight in the Colosseums or gladiator's next meal. You were thrown into these places of which that is one. That's in the city of Rome, still standing. These Colosseums existed all over Europe, but the biggest one was in Rome and the most popular one because it was the capital city. And this is where they would put people to die fight each other to the death. One of the reasons they did that was because they wanted to keep the population under control. If they provided activities and events for people, they would have less of an act, less time to become Christians or to get involved in revolts. So they would do this. This was their TV of the day. Sit in front of the TV and watch things. And if you can see somebody get torn apart, that's even more exciting. And people would go to the Colosseums. This is how the culture plummeted. It was during these 200 years, these things became popular. And one of the things they began doing was they said, well, we got all these Christians around. They're enemies of the state. Here's an idea. Let's start the gladiator games with appetizers. We'll throw the Christians down there. We'll set the lions in there. We'll splatter that floor with blood. And then the gladiators will come out for the main event. Now, we live in a world that teaches this never happened. I read, I've read articles about people who say, no, 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 there was no Colosseum. There was Colosseums, but they were only for gladiators, and these are for people that were just trying to make a living. Okay, that is just crazy talk. Keep reading any one of those people that deny that Christians were thrown to these lions on a regular basis, and you will find out that they have an agenda. I just read another one last night as I was dozing off in sleep. Uh, and they said, get this, they said, if Christians were ever thrown in there, which they weren't, this writer said, it is because they were intolerant, they refused to blend into the community, they caused their own suspicion to increase, it was their own fault. Is that crazy? Even, so, even to say, some of them even wanted to be martyred. Okay, now, now just spend two seconds thinking about that phrase. Rome was so afraid of these Christians, they would soon begin rounding them up family by family and killing them. And all of this whole thing started at the beginning 
of Peter's letter. This is the audience of Peter. So if you're receiving the letter of 1 Peter, what feelings are going through your mind? You've been found out that you're a Christian. You've been removed from your home. You've been put over in Germany or Spain. or You've been put someplace else. Actually, there's a bunch of places. We're going to find out where they are. You've been dispersed. Because for you to stay in one place might mean you'll get a little gathering together and you'll revolt. Rome doesn't like revolts. So you've been dispersed to a place where there's just not a lot of enemies of the state. What kind of feelings would be going through your mind? I'd be angry. They've taken away my property. They've taken me away from my family. They've taken away my income. They've removed my bank account. I have no savings. You're angry. You're discouraged. You're losing hope. And then one day, a man shows up in your city named Silvanus. He's a follower of Jesus Christ. And you hear he's in your city and he's looking for Christians. And he says, I have a letter from the Apostle Peter. You imagine how that would make you feel? You have been displaced. You have been forgotten about. You've been removed. You've been labeled an enemy of the state. You don't have a home anymore. And soon to be persecuted in some pretty tragic and terrible ways that you have yet to see come. But you hear this man shows up with a letter from the Apostle Peter. And it starts this way. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How would you feel if you heard those words? You're not in Ephesus. You're not in Corinth. You're not in Philippi. You're not in those big cities where the big churches are. You're not in big areas where there's a lot of Christians You're by yourself. You don't even know if there's other Christians around. And you hear there's this guy, Sylvanius, he's walking through the streets and he's asking people, do you know if there's any Christians in this town? Do you know know if there's any Christians in this town? And then you get word of it. And you run and you find him and you say, what's up? What's what's happening? And he says, I have a letter. Get all of your friends. We're going to read it together. And it starts out this way. This letter is from... Peter. Now you've heard about Peter. <laughs> you've heard stories. You don't know a lot about Christianity. You probably don't have any text at all. All you know is the story of Jesus Christ. That's it. And a bunch of his nut job disciples, Peter being the biggest nut job of all. But Jesus gave him the job of establishing the church. You hear that. And you hear these words starting out the letter. This letter's from Peter. If Peter remembers us, maybe we're not really forgotten. Peter was an apostle. Being an apostle meant three things. Number one, he witnessed the resurrected Christ personally. Jesus died. Jesus rose from the dead. If you're an apostle, you saw him afterwards. Number two, he was specifically chosen by the Holy Spirit and acknowledged by others that the Holy Spirit has chosen this person to be an apostle. And number three, he had the ability, these apostles had the ability to do signs and wonders in order to validate the ministry of the gospel. That's what makes an apostle an apostle. So listen, if you go to a church where somebody calls themselves an apostle, you should take them into the back and give them a quick theology lesson. Because when people call themselves apostles today, it's usually what they mean is it's all about church authority and not authentic apostleship of the New Testament. Of all the apostles, church, I have to ask myself, why did God give Peter this job? Why not Paul? He was much more social. 
Uh, why not John? John was a loving guy. You know? Why not Andrew? Andrew was constantly caring for other people. And if you got somebody hurting, Andrew would be ideal to reach out into their lives, don't you think? Somebody that could identify with being hurt and broken. Why Peter? Peter had dropped the ball with Jesus several times. He was brash. He was outspoken. He denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. Why Peter? After Jesus had risen from the dead and ascended back into heaven, Peter was given the job of going to the churches and being the theologian. Peter actually was the one who preached the first big message in the Gospel of Acts. When the people started speaking in tongues, the Holy Spirit came and filled them for the very first time. This has never happened before. And people were going, uh, everybody's drunk. They're all talking and, and speaking in words we don't understand. And Peter was the one and stood up and he said, no, 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 you don't understand. They're not drunk like you think. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what Joel prophesied of in the Old Testament. He was the theologian of the day. He was on a council of people that helped discern who was the, uh, a correct prophet of God and who wasn't. He was, he was in touch with the councils in Jerusalem. He was like prominent after Jesus went to heaven. He was the one given the responsibility of building the church. Peter actually raised a person from the dead in the book of Acts. Why was he chosen to talk to a bunch of forgotten, scattered people throughout the regions of Asia? Well, simply because of this, the times have changed. The church was beginning to be persecuted. This was a new phase of life. Believers were scattered throughout the world, and persecution was coming like no one had ever seen before. So Jesus set Peter up for this job, unbeknownst to him, 30 years earlier. When Jesus rose from the dead, he made an appointment with Peter to have a meeting with him on the beach. Do you remember the story? It's in John chapter 21. Jesus came back to life. He was seen by the disciples. He's about to go back to be with his father and leave the commission of building the church with the disciples, this ragtag group of not so smart but passionate followers of Jesus Christ. And he walks on the, uh, he walks on the beach and Peter jumps in the water. They, he does the whole, it's interesting, he does the whole it's like a sandwich. He does the whole thing where at the beginning of the ministry, these guys were fishing all night. And they caught nothing. And so Jesus said, why don't, you try the other, why don't you try the other side of the boat? Which is just a stupid thing to say, right? Because a boat is where the boat is. You put it on this side. You put it on that side. It's the same thing. So they say, okay, fine. We'll put it on the other. And they had so many fish in the net that the net started breaking. Remember that story? So you know what Jesus does on this day? This day, when he raises from the dead after spending three years with his disciples, after showing them wondrous signs and giving them a passion for the Father and new insight into the Messiah and the fact that he is that, you know what he does? He does the same thing again. He shows up, he does the same deal. They're out, they're fishing. Peter's bummed. They're fishing, they caught nothing all night. All they know is that Jesus, they don't know what's going on. He showed up in the upper room, but some of them saw him and some of them didn't. So a guy shows up on the beach. They're out there fishing. You know what he says? Hey, why don't you try throwing that net on the other side of the boat? And the first thing they think is, we've heard this before. So they pull the net up. They throw it on the other side of the boat. Guess what happens? Kaboom. Shazam. Fish galore. 
And Peter does not sit in the boat, does not gather the fish. He immediately rips off his outer clothing, dives into the water because the boat's too slow. He, run, he swims back to shore and he gets to see the eyes of the one he has betrayed alive. They cook the fish, they have breakfast, and then John, or, and then uh, Jesus has a meeting with Peter right afterwards, and here's what he said to him. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, church, what did he say to him? Will you say it with me? Feed my lambs. Who are Jesus' lambs? If, yeah, it's a church. If you're a lamb of Jesus, would you raise your hand, please? All right, everybody should have their hands raised. That's good. Verse 16. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love to him. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Any sheep here this morning? We're all sheep, right? Lamb, sheep. 17. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? How would it break your heart to hear one person in one conversation ask you if you love them three times? The first thing you would think is what? I have not shown love to this person like I should. Peter was grieving, just like we all would. Because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, listen, Jesus, I'm not playing games. You know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, church, what did he say to him? Feed my sheep. Why three times? I believe it's three times because Peter denied him three times. And this is the way Jesus forgave him three times. Each time Peter said, you know I love you. Stop asking me. But each time, Jesus says to him, if you love me, take care of my sheep. Peter knew what it was to be lonely, forgotten, broken, a little bit of a failure. Yet you don't think Peter knew what it was to be alone? He could identify with sheep who felt alone. And then Jesus gives him a look into his future. And this is just the kicker part of this whole thing. The next verse says, Truly, truly, Jesus said to Peter that same morning, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after, uh, after saying this, he simply said to him, Follow me. Peter's job given to him by Jesus himself was to care for the church. That was his job. So the reason you have First Peter written to these people who've been forgotten and scattered and think they're going to die is because the guy that was commissioned to feed the sheep was given the commission to write the letter and find them. Seek them out and give them hope. Peter was the ideal candidate because he could not only, he's not only commissioned for this, but he could identify with them as well. And not only that, but Peter knew as soon as he begun this part of his ministry, it would kill him. He would stretch out his hands 
and he would die. Church history says that that's exactly how Peter died. We're going to get back to that a little bit. Let me talk about the exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter gives these guys elect exile term. These guys understood this term now. These families understood this term. They were Christians before. Now they're outcasts. Refugees. That's what an exile is. They're a refugee. They have no country. They have no place that they can actually fit in and belong. This, these exiles lived over a 3,000 square mile radius. This is about where we're looking right here. These are the different areas that's, that... Uh, um, that the letter was sent to. And they were supposed to find all of the Christians that were scattered abroad in those areas. People without a country. Kicked out of their homes, out of their land, and out of their jobs because of Jesus. Listen, they need to know this is the what if that Jesus had been talking about when Jesus was doing his ministry with his disciples. Do you remember the what ifs? It's a what if that doesn't only apply to them, it applies to us as well. Jesus said, If you want to be my disciple, pick up your cross and follow me. But you got to know something. Let me be straight with you. Here's what's going to happen. And you have it in Matthew 10 and verse 16. Behold, Jesus says to them and to us, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Who wins, sheep or wolves? Who wins, sheep or wolves? (laughs) Wolves win over sheep. You never see a sheep take on a wolf and win. Jesus is saying you, saying, you are the sheep and you're going into the midst of wolves. So if you feel like you're losing, expect it. But be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over into courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before uh, governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaks through you. He's saying to these disciples, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be beaten for the gospel. And every one of them, church history says, was killed for the gospel of Jesus Christ. James was beaten beaten with clubs till he died. John was boiled in a pot of oil. I mean, uh, Paul got his head cut off. There's just, every one of them died a martyr's death. And Jesus said, be ready. This is your what if. And it will become your what is. They would lose jobs, income, property, family, even their lives. Now, keep in mind, these exiles that Peter is writing to, these exiles were welcomed in society just like everybody else. It's just because of their follow, become followers of Jesus Christ, their citizenship has been revoked. So Peter writes right out of the gate, you're exiles, you don't fit in anymore, you feel alone, but realize a different country holds your citizenship. You may feel like you don't belong here. Don't be surprised. You now belong to a different country. You have a different king. You have a different code for life. You have different values. So live like you don't belong. Church, I want to tell you, you have a different king. You have different values. You have a different ideal for your family. You have different ideas for how you're going to live your life, you are never going to fit in. Especially as culture progresses, you're definitely not going to fit in. So don't be surprised. Live like you don't belong. Peter is simply telling these lonely sheep, you're not at home in this country 
any longer. Later on in verse 17, he would say, if you call on him as father, in other words, if you call God your father, who judges impartially everyone according to their deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. He's saying to them, you are exiles, own up to it. You'll never fit in, live in fear during your time of your exile. Now their questions might be the same as ours at this point. Why would Jesus ever allow this loneliness and suffering to go on for exiles? (laughs) The reason is found in the greeting itself. The word here for exiles means dispersion or scattering. Peter likely had Jesus' own words ringing through his ears from so long ago. Listen, we already read it, Matthew 10, 17. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before the governors and kings for my sake. Why, church? To bear witness before them and the Gentiles. You know why you don't fit in? You're meant to be a witness. You know who doesn't end up being a witness? People who fit in. You are called, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are called to be a witness wherever God places you. For these exiles, they were placed in some places they didn't want to be. But the reason was the gospel needs to go into all the earth. God's strategy is to get his people out and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the yeah, ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. This is what exiles are called to do. This is the calling for the church. This is why church is not a building, by the way. This is why church is people. We call this church, but on Monday the church isn't here. And it's not your chair that makes it a church. It's not the stage that makes it a church. It's not even the cross that makes it a church. You know what makes it a church? We do. We make it a church. People make it a church. And wherever you go, you are a family of God meant to be a witness for your true Father, for the country that will never fade away, for the promise that is eternal, for things that will last forever, not for stuff that everybody else is doing. You think you don't fit in because of the way you live, then you're on the right track. Sometimes the what-ifs terrify us, like receiving a phone call from your 14-year-old daughter hiding in a closet not knowing if there's a gunman outside. The unknowing can be terrifying for sure. What if I lose? What if I lose my stuff if I follow Jesus with a passionate devotion? What relationships will I lose if I devote myself to following Jesus Christ? What family members will peg me as a kook, will stop talking to me? What friends will abandon me? These are real questions. You deal with them, and you should know, so do I. Jesus says in Matthew 10, a little further down, that passage that we just read, where he says, you are meant to be scattered so that you can be witnesses. He says down in verse 37, It's almost like he can read our minds. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is what church? I know it's hard to read. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is what? Is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is what church? Not worthy of me. 
And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is what church? Not worthy of me. Because church, whoever finds his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Our problem is we put way, way too much oomph on what happens here. And we forget about what's coming there. Not knowing what you may lose because of your devotion to Jesus Christ can be terrifying. I agree. Your faith may cause you to fear what friends you may lose. Faith may, family may ostracize you. Government may persecute you. Income you may jeopardize. The what-ifs can cause you to stay up at night. And if that's the case, you need to know this letter is for you. First Peter is written with your name on it. You can live in fear. Or you can read the game plan for an exile's life. Here's where the game plan begins. Here's your so what's. Number one, your exile is a part of God's plan, not simply a response. You love the word? Elect exiles. Now, if you like theology, you like that word elect, or you hate that word elect. It could be either way. I happen to love it. You know why? Because it tells me that God is in absolute control. If you feel like you're in an exile, you are an elect exile. You know what that means? God's not surprised. You're right where you need to be. And it's right in these verses. You are an exile. What does it say in the orange church? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God didn't wake up someday and go, oh, look, Craig's going to lose the ability to have a conversation with his family because of his devotion to Christ. It doesn't take God by surprise. God has a job and you have a place for where he has you right now. Scatter the message of the gospel wherever he puts you. Number two, your exile is not just for them to meet Jesus, but it's for you to look more like Jesus in the exile. Next phrase, in the sanctification of the Spirit. The Spirit is at work in the life of every exile. The reason you're in the position you are where you feel a little scared, like the what-ifs are scaring you a little bit, or you're, maybe you're already losing stuff, losing privileges, losing relationships, losing stuff for the sake of the gospel. Number one, it does not take God by surprise. And number two, it's to make you look more like Jesus. Sanctification is, make, is whatever it takes to make me look or act more like Jesus Christ. God has something for me to learn in my exile. Number three, During exile, I'm reminded to obey this letter without hesitation. That's what it says next. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ. You get the letter. You're one of the exiles. You hear Silvanius is running around asking for where the Christians are. You say, speak to me. He says, listen, this is from Peter. It's to help you understand you're not alone. God knows where you are. This is for your betterment. And this letter is meant to be obeyed. Every word of it. It's, for, it's, it's meant for you to live it out. To keep your hearts and minds adjusted to what's required of us during our exile. To make us more excited about the truth of the gospel and how it can change lives. And number four, you can endure this exile because of what Jesus has done for you. I love that Peter ends with this phrase, and for the sprinkling with his blood. In other words, if God claims you as his own, if you've been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, he won't forget about you. 
you belong to him. This is Peter's way of saying, you've been cleansed from your sin, called to serve God, and you have God's forever loyalty. You have got this. May grace and peace be multiplied. I have one more what if for you. What if you're right where God needs you to be right now? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what details of your life you wish would go away. I don't know what details of your life you're really enjoying right now, but what if God has you exactly where you need to be here and now? Let's talk about the world around us. God knows the world is changing. He knows the threats to the church today, and He knows those yet to come. God knows politics are hijacking moral issues on a daily basis. Let me say that one more time because it's borderline brilliant. God knows politics is hijacking moral issues on a daily basis. There's some things that are called political that are not political. They are moral. And the first way you get to, to, to call them not important as they are or to label them one way or another is you take them out of the arena of morality and you put them into the area of politics. So if you're a Republican, it's no longer morality, you're just whatever. And if you're a Democrat, it's no longer a moral issue, you're just whatever. God knows you're feeling alone because your faith makes you stand out. God knows your family thinks you're a kook or maybe even duped. But what if you're right where God needs you to be right now? Can you be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ during your exile now or your exile to come. Listen, Peter remembered his job description, feed my sheep. He also knew the end was yet to come. Remember? The end is yet to come. He would, you want to know how Peter died? Peter was captured for preaching the gospel. He was brought to a place where his family was put before him and they were sliced up with swords by the Roman guards. And then he was told he was going to be persecuted and the church history books say that he said, I'm not worthy to be executed like my Lord. So he asked for them to to crucify him upside down. That's how Peter died. Do you know how I think Peter was prepared for that day? Because of the conversation he had with Jesus on the beach 30 years ago. You should know your exile is going to lead you to a very deep place of suffering. This is why Peter was chosen to write this letter. This letter was from one exile to another, watching the nerve-wracking what-ifs become the what-is. So church, I would just say this, don't let the what-ifs scare you. (laughs) Don't let them scare you. Live your life, be vigilant in your devotion to Jesus Christ. God has you right where you need to be. You need to be, if you feel like an exile, join the club. That's normal. Be a faithful exile. Your earthly country may eventually revoke your citizenship, but you have a citizenship that can never be revoked. You belong to a city that will never perish. Jesus himself said he's going to prepare a place for you so that when Where he goes, you may be also. We look for a city, the Bible says, whose founder and builder is Jesus Christ, and we're anxious to see him face to face. So church, 
Let us live as exiles, living out the faith of those who have gone before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and remembering that we are citizens of a city that will never fade. This life will end, right? You will cease to be at some point. Whether it's a gunman in the mall or some crazy man driving on the highway trying to get there fast enough or, or maybe your health is going to go today. Catches us all. The question is, are you enough engaged with God that you have this mindset that there is more to this life than what we see? Because boy, I don't know how I'd live if that weren't here and here. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for the promises You give us in Scripture, reminding us constantly that when we follow You, we do take up our cross. We may have mothers and fathers that disown us and brothers and sisters that don't understand us, that friends that abandon us because we've become one of those crazy religious people. It's reminded me, Father, that you, you knew all this was going to happen. If we dedicated our lives to serving you, this was the inevitable. What if? Thank you for being honest with us so that we can read words written 2,000 years ago and apply them to where we're at today. Thank you that you told Peter what was to come. Thank you that you tell us. So, Father, I do pray for our world. I pray that you would redeem it. Help us not to label any country as a Christian nation. Help us to label the church as the Christian nation. May you redeem every culture through the power of the gospel. May you use us so we don't waste our time getting caught up in the mundane and the boring and the entertaining. Help us to keep in mind what's really important, what our commission is, and why we're exiles in the first place because we're called to be witnesses wherever you put us. So Father, encourage us with this book. Encourage us with your word. Encourage us with your spirit. And help us to live as conquerors, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.